This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. And this year we're exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament following that. And we're going to continue today in the book of Acts with Acts chapter 9. Our theme, let me back up, Ben, our theme for the year is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The first part of the book of Acts is all about ministry in Jerusalem and the surrounding territory of Judea. And last podcast, we, we looked how it expanded into Samaria. And then now, when we explore the conversion of a man named Saul, and he becomes Paul who takes the gospel into the Greco-Roman world and writes the majority of the New Testament, we're going to see the final part of this, Acts 1-8, the beginning of it being fulfilled, that is, to the ends of the earth. So to me, that's the significance of this chapter. It's a pretty powerful chapter in the Bible, which looks at a man who made a big change, and and Saul, in essence, becomes Paul. He was already known by both names, but but he becomes known by this name so he can go into the Gentile, the non-Jewish world. I I just thought about a story from my my growing up years, and I was buddies with— a guy in my school named Greg Grunin. Uh, Greg, Greg uh, not, he passed away not, not terribly long ago, but he was, he was a buddy of mine. We were in school together for all those years, this tiny little school that I went to. And, and uh, Greg knew that I was a Christian as a high school kid, and I knew that he was a Jewish person as a high school kid. And so we, we had this a great time talking about those things. His dad's name was Saul, and my dad's name was Paul. And so... And, you know, I wasn't really savvy enough to, to understand all that then, but we would just joke about how our dad's names were, were similar and, and all those things then. And he was really the first Jewish person that I knew in, in my life. Again, I had a small school. There were 79 people in my graduating class. And he, he was the first one that I knew. And, and his mom in particular was worked for the school, and, and she would go to um, the synagogue qu- quite often. So... I got to know them a little bit and know, know their background and know their story. But that's my only Saul-Paul connection. It's not, a, it's not a great one. But here's a guy that's named Saul, and that's how he's known in the beginning of the, of the story in the book of Acts. And then he's later known by his name, Paul. What's the significance of the names and how were names, were names used in that part of the world and that part of history? Oftentimes, names were connected to the the character uh, traits of of the person, or they were linked in some ways to some aspect of uh, of God's character or, or nature. Um, even myself, who has a, a Jewish background, my my uh, grandfather, my paternal grandfather, was Jewish, and so uh, you know, last name Greenbaum, but first name is Benjamin, um, which means son of of my right hand. And so, uh, and so a lot of times the, the names bear, uh, some connection. Uh, a lot of it is culturally conditioned. My grandfather wasn't some Orthodox, uh, believer by any means, um, in Judaism. 
but usually there's some sort of historical connection or cultural connection. Uh, for those Orthodox believers, a connection to some attribute of God. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a, probably a significant name for Saul, and he grew up a faithful Jewish man. As, let's take a look a little bit about that right now. If we back up to Acts chapter 7, verse 57, we'll recall the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr that's recorded in the Bible. And 757 picks this, that story up that we, we talked about a, a while back. And it says, at this, the Sanhedrin covered their ears that, at what Stephen said, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then over in verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, that is, he died, and goes on to chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. So it kind of gives a little bit of essence that he was there. He was involved in some of those kind of things. He, he was against the church. He was against Christians. He at least gave approval. And so he's early on not a huge part of the story. He just was a character that's named as, as being there. But we learn from some other places in the Bible how committed Saul was to the preservation of the pure Jewish faith. And he saw that recognizing Jesus as the Messiah was a threat, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And he saw Jesus through the lens of being a false Messiah that was ultimately uh, had led people astray to, to believe false truths. And so at this point, at the time of Stephen's death, at least, you know, you've, you've had thousands of people coming to follow uh, Christ, coming to believe in Jesus. We see the message expanding uh, throughout Jerusalem. And so uh, Paul, with the rest of the religious leaders, are beginning to uh, respond violently um, to those who are, who are bearing witness to Christ that are actually living into Jesus's uh, mission at the beginning of Acts, as you shared earlier, to go and to bear witness. Yeah, so in Acts 22, later he re- is reflecting back on that. He, he says in Acts 22, I'll p- let's pick it up in verse 4, I persecuted the followers of this way. That's how the early church was known, the way. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can testify themselves, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus. We're going to talk about Damascus today. To their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners back to Jerusalem to be punished. So he, he was going to go. Damascus is still in Syria, so it was in Syria then. He was going to go to this other land where he had access to, but go there specifically to find Jewish people who lived in Syria, in Damascus, and those, who, those Jews who had converted or who had recognized Jesus as the Messiah and haul them back to Jerusalem. It's like a five-day journey, I think. Haul them back to, to Jerusalem so they could throw them in the slammer or worse to them. He, he was against them. It says to their death, he he was wanting to 
stamp out Christianity, he might have been one of the greatest threats at the, of the early church. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And at least he, he's named as, in some ways, the, the chief threat um, at, with his militancy and, and his persistent pursuit of, of Christians. And at this time, you know, there's, there's tens of thousands, probably. Um, there's a huge Jewish community in Damascus. There's multiple synagogues at this point. And so, yeah, Paul, willing to uh, go um, to the ends of the earth. Uh, at this point, not to bear witness to Christ, but to stomp out all those that are seeking to bear witness to Christ. He's he's kind of like the least likely person you would expect to be the the writer of the m- most of the New Testament and the the one who took the gospel into Asia Minor, as it was known back then, and 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 into Europe. I mean, he, you wouldn't expect that. If I were writing the story, the screenplay for for all of this, I would think you'd, you'd try to find somebody who was solid and had a good character and a good background. And here's this guy that he was putting people to death. He was hauling them off to prison. He, he was traveling far away and going at great effort to stamp out Christianity. And yet he becomes this guy that goes on his famous missionary journeys and writes the book of Romans and Corinthians, Galatians, like on and on. There's a lesson in there. I think it's really the lesson that scripture persistently conveys. Um, a lot of times we have this perception that, or, or like we see the, the folks that God chooses, that God pursues. And, you know, we look at an Abraham, we look at a Moses, we, we look at these biblical characters and the consistent message there is that their story really is our story. A lot of times we we minimize, I guess, the sin in our own life. Uh, but as we look to Paul, as we look to Moses, we look to Abraham, the one thing, uh, on, in some ways we look at them through different lenses, but they were all ultimately saved by grace. And God's pursuit of them was not something that they had merited. It wasn't something that they had earned. They had done nothing to... In, to, by their own means to captivate the affections of God. And yet God pursues each of these folks, reveals himself to these guys. And, and for me, as I look uh, through the, the lens of scripture, we just see this overarching theme of God's redemptive love, God's redemptive work being poured out uh, upon them. And we see that with Saul. Uh, and a lot of times, again, you know, we look at Saul and we think to ourselves, man, that, you know, because obviously, I mean, none of us are necessarily running or hopefully not running around, you know, uh, throwing out murderous threats, throwing people in jail, whatever it might be. Um, and so we look at Paul and we see him through a different lens, sometimes without realizing we ourselves are in need of the same redemptive love. We ourselves are in need of the same redemptive work, just as Paul is. I have to imagine like if there was a, a yearbook that was being published that year by the, uh, the, the first Christian school. I don't know if they had, they didn't have him, but the, he would be like the least likely to succeed. <laughs> Something like, and he had, you wouldn't ex- like he's he's public enemy number one to the church. So let's pick the story up in Acts chapter nine, verse one. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, Damascus was an important city in that day. It's still the capital of Syria, I believe. It's an important city. It's uh, on a there's a major waterway that goes through there, and also there was in that day two main highways that connected it to the rest of the of that part of the world. And so it it was a it was a big city. It was a, it was a well known city. It was an important city, and there were several Jewish people, as you have mentioned, that were living there. So he's he's going to Damascus though to find these people, and this this setting of Damascus to me is what is so interesting to me in how 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 Saul becomes Paul gets gets found by Jesus and and called out for them in not in Jerusalem, but in this foreign city of Damascus. It goes on in verse 3, as Paul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The thing is, he, he was told to go into the city, and at first reading, when I first read this, I, I probably thought Jerusalem years ago, but he's not telling him to go to Jerusalem. He's telling him to go ahead into the, to the very place where he already is, has letters from the headquarters down in Jerusalem, and they give him permission through the government that's already there in Damascus to to take Christians away from there, take them out of the city, across territorial lines, back into Israel, down to Jerusalem to arrest them. Like all of this is being worked out. And and he's he's packing these letters. And Jesus, when he shows up in his life, says, I want you to go into that city, and then I'll tell you what to do. I, I just find it interesting that that he didn't say go away on a retreat or or go find yourself or, or 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 go get a good education. He said you were headed there to kill my people. I want you to go right back to where you're headed to to the place you were headed, and then I'll tell you what to do. I, th- again, there's another lesson for me in this. Is I mean, I, I think that sometimes we are we're called to do the the work of Christ in places where we never thought we would want to do it. Maybe we're like if there are areas of our lives where they're where we're not living the way we should. I w- I wonder sometimes if he wants us to avoid that. Yes, to avoid sin. But I wonder if there's times to press into it. If there's a person or a group of people that we don't like, I I just there's something in this. Like when Jesus shows up in his life, he says, "Don't turn around. Keep moving forward." And and these people, I'm going to meet. Have you meet with? Yeah, and it's funny because he does. I mean, God has a funny way of working in our life where we have an image or a rationale for maybe why we're headed to a particular destination, and then God repurposes that for us. And so, you know, my wife and I, we met on the south side of Chicago when we were in college. We were we were there uh, working with a uh, happened to meet working uh, 
uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ on the south side of Chicago. And my wife is from, Sherry's from Indiana originally. I'm from South Louisiana. And so I graduate college. I moved to Indiana. And my intent was to move to Indiana for us to get married and then for us to move to Dallas, Texas. And then from there, who knew? It's like the happy meeting ground between Louisiana (laughs) and Indiana. Right. Well, (laughs) Dallas, we had to move to Dallas so I could go get my master's degree. And so we we figured our time in Dallas would, would not be permanent by any means. We figured our time in Texas would be temporary and then we would go somewhere else. And then lo and behold, Sherry discerned that God was calling her to go back to school. The easiest means for her to do that was to go back to Indiana University, which brought us back to Indiana. And when we first uh, stepped back into Indiana, the goal was Sherry would graduate from nursing school and then we would leave Indiana. And yet here I am. 20 years later, still living in Indiana. It was never on my radar. I had one intent for originally coming to Indiana. It was to get married to my wife and then to leave forever. And yet God repurposes this to where now this is my home. That answers the age old question. Can anything good come out of Bloomington? So (laughs) (laughs) apparently, apparently it can. Okay. So, so this whole, the story goes on in Acts chapter nine and about it. It's basically Jesus speaking to him and having this encounter and, and all, and then he, all these things are taking place. There's a lot to the story, but I want to skip down to verse 19 in the second half of verse 19. So this is after he's baptized and all, all kinds of things are going on in Paul's life now, Saul's life. And the last half of that is so striking. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Those were the people he was going to Damascus in order to take prisoner, to haul back to Jerusalem. And now he's had this conversion experience, and it's so strong that the very people he was wanting to go and ruin their lives, maybe even See, put to death, he's ministering to them. And it says in verse 20, he went beyond that. At once he began to preach in the synagogues. That's, those were the Jewish people who maybe hadn't accepted Jesus as the Messiah. He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So this guy went from hating Jesus and all the followers of the way of Jesus to proclaiming Jesus in the same city, in the same place, in the same synagogues where he was going to wreak havoc. I just, there's just something about that, those, those two pieces of the story that really grabbed my attention. And, and, you know, we, we know from, by, by the way, from second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32, we know that, that there was a big conspiracy against him. In, in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty two, Paul writes, later he writes, in Damascus, that city, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes, maybe that's how you pronounce it, guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from the window in the wall and slipped through his hands, almost the exact same way that's worded in Acts chapter Nine verses twenty three and twenty four. There was this conspiracy, and they they lowered him out of wall, and and he finally escaped Damascus and went back to went to Jerusalem, 
and they're met with the disciples. But that's ironic to me because he went to Damascus to arrest people, to haul them back to Jerusalem, and he ended up being converted and witnessing to people in Damascus, leading them to Christ, and he had to escape for his own life back to Jerusalem. There was just some, there was like a poetic justice in Acts chapter nine that, that I think is, is pretty cool. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that stands out to me, you know, before, uh, before that scene, uh, when he enters in uh, to Damascus, he's supposed to go to Ananias uh, to meet with this disciple Ananias and Ananias is going to lay hands on him and pray for him. And Ananias who, you know, Ananias knows Paul's story. And when Jesus is like, Hey, Ananias, uh, Saul's coming and, uh, I want you to greet him. I want you to lay hands on him and pray over him. And Ananias's first initial reaction is like, wait, what? This guy, I know who he is. There are, you know, the, his, his story has been heard in Damascus about how he's been persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem. We know why he's coming here and now you're sending him to me. And, and, uh, but when Ananias finally does greet Paul, um, he calls him brother. Yeah. Immediately, this guy who had, who was his you know sworn enemy, um, who was coming to persecute him, Ananias greets Paul as brother, and how the work of Christ shifts the relationship um, to where there's this uh, you know it's not even it's not just that we're reconciled to God. Uh, through Christ, but through Christ, we're reconciled to these brothers and sisters in Christ. There's this familial bond that exists. So this guy who was coming, uh, you know, three days earlier to wipe out Ananias and his ilk, now Ananias greets him as brother. And then to your point, uh, Paul or, or Saul goes from the persecute, persecutor to the persecuted immediately as he's bearing witness to Jesus Christ. It's a pretty amazing story, and to see the transformation that takes place in Saul's life. In fact, the majority of the rest of this study is going to be dedicated to the activity of this man named Saul who becomes Paul. That's, that's just it. I mean, it, from, from this point forward, he becomes the centerpiece of the story. Next week, we're going to take a look at Peter and the vision he had which let him know that the gospel was a global gospel, not a Jewish gospel. But the one who lived that story out was Paul. And, and so the, the large part of the rest of, of this study will be dedicated to the, to the activity of Paul, the letters of Paul, the encouragement of Paul, the challenges of Paul. Like His life becomes center as he takes the gospel globally and, and lives out Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says, to the ends of the earth around the rest of the world. So it's a, it's a good reminder that nobody's beyond redemption. Beyond that, nobody is outside of the possibility that God can use them, reshape their character in such a way that when they are called to do something amazing for God, they can do it. And it's a, it's a great reminder for us, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, folks, if, if you want to jump in deeper to this whole study that we're doing, we ask you to go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and you can click on the Beyond Mission link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the mission of Jesus, including we have daily Bible reading and devotions and poems that 
tie in with all these things we're doing week by week, as well as each week, the sermon or group study or podcasts and other things that are going on in the life of the church. So we'd love you to do that if you want to dive deeper into this the study of the New Testament. And if you want to stay up to date with the Beyond Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And God bless you in every way, and we'll talk to you next week.